Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. Almost 30 years ago, when I was in my early 40s, events in life sort of conspired to propel me into what I I, I guess would be called a midlife crisis, I guess. It seems like nothing was nailed down, nothing was solid anymore. My family, my life, my ministry, uh, my friendships, my relationship with God, my thinking about God, it seemed like everything was stirred up at the same time, and it was really very confusing. Life was in a kind of chaos there for some time. And People do, especially men, do some really stupid things during times like that. I I took to fishing. That was maybe as sane a response as possible. I spent a lot of early mornings and late evenings wade fishing in Galveston Bay or in the surf on the west end of Galveston Island. And somehow I found comfort in the solitude and the ritual and the contact with God's creation. It was a healing kind of experience. So when I passed by Barnes and Nobles one day and saw in the display case a book called Fly Fishing Through the Midlife Crisis, it was pretty inevitable that I would buy it and read it, and I, and I did. It was by a man named Howell Raines. He was at the time an editorial page editor for the New York Times uh, newspaper. And he tells these really beautiful stories of his experiences of fly fishing with his sons and his friends, and along the way weaves into those stories the way that he was wrestling with what his life meant. When one of his really close friends, a guy named Dick Blaylock, called him from the Indian Springs Hospital Intensive Care Unit in Vero Beach, Florida, barely able to speak, uh, Howell Raines said he began to face for the first time what he called the black dog. That is, the reality of his own mortality, that he himself was destined to die. He said, as I navigated through the final shoals of the passage to middle age, I came to see that the acceptance of my mortality was the final and indispensable issue for me. And indeed, it was hardly worth going to the trouble of having a midlife crisis equal to the name if you were not going to figure out how to be comfortable in the arms of death. It was a big moment for him. He said he came to a moment of enlightenment about how fearful he was of dying when he was watching this movie. He said it sort of embarrassingly. He was watching the movie Moonstruck. He said, I remember feeling sheepish about finding a pearl of wisdom in a movie that was being promoted as an opportunity to regard Cher as a serious actress. But this was the first time I remember explicitly admitting to myself how profoundly fearful I was of dying, how intolerable I found it to contemplate ceasing to exist. The fear I felt was childish to me, but it was, and it was real. When Rain said that, he he touched a nerve that human beings have 
felt for a long time. Philosophers and religious thinkers along the way have pointed to this, the impact that coming to terms with the fact that we are all going to die is a profound experience in our life. Uh, Martin Heidegger, the philosopher, said, we live with an unceasing anticipation of death. Consequently, death looms over everything we do and drives much that we do and affects all that we do. The writer in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament said in chapter 3, verse 18 and following, I said in my heart with regard to human beings that God is testing them to show them that they are but animals. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to death. And the writer of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament is wrestling with this reality that we're mortal, and we have to make sense of life in light of that. In fact, uh, it can the idea that we are going to die one day can just rob life of meaning. It's like, if we're all going to die, what's the point of living anyway, some would think. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament said, therefore, since the children, that's you and I, share flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This is what Howell Raines was struggling with, being held in slavery by the fear of death. And the writer of Hebrews says Jesus has responded to that. Your, your life and mine are constantly filled with reminders of death. We watch death on television, sometimes fictional, sometimes reality. We hear the reports of pandemics and the reports of war. We watch the generation ahead of us pass over the horizon and know that our time is coming too. We have to deal with the fact that we're going to die, but sort of like looking directly into the sun, we can only do that for so long before we turn our eyes away and think about something else. We don't want to think about the fact of our mortality. It's the ultimate insult to us. And so sometimes around midlife, uh, people in this death-denying culture that we live in seem to lose their grip. With death now on the horizon and maybe even a possibility out there, they do all kinds of things to look away. They work on their image, their body, they join the gym, they have affairs, they want to look younger, and few people will admit that it's the fear of death that's driving them to do those kind of things. But you know what? Red Corvettes and gold chains and membership at the gym can't put it away. It's reality. And the sad thing is that so many people die without ever having come to terms with what it means to live. And that's the tension that we face. Howell Raines concluded, no one can fear death and truly live. The reality of our mortality is an issue we have to come to terms with in order to live an authentic life. So here we are with no answer of our own. It's not something we can just make up an answer to why life means something and how we deal with the fact of our own death. We can't supply a solution. We need help with this one. And if we're going to make sense of our lives and sense of death, we need to have a fierce conversation about death. 
And so Jesus enters. In John chapter 11, he comes onto a scene where the enemy death has already intruded. It, it has wreaked havoc in a community called Bethany. It has uh, wreaked havoc in the lives of friends of his, Mary and Martha, stolen the life of their brother Lazarus, Jesus' friends. Friends and family have gathered to mourn. And even as a reader coming to John chapter 11, we know what it feels like to gather like this. Lazarus has died. His sisters are brokenhearted. His friend and community are missing someone who's been important to them. And Jesus walks onto that scene, stepping onto the field of this recent battle with the enemy. The enemy has come. One has been taken. Many have been wounded as collateral damage. He steps through the smoking battlefield. He comes to demonstrate that death does not get the last word for those who follow him that God is for us even in the face of death, and that we have a reason to live with hope. So when Jesus arrives in Bethany, he had been invited by uh, Mary and Martha and their friends. Uh, word had been sent to him that your friend Lazarus is ill, and Jesus waited two days before he gathered his disciples and made his way back to Bethany. And when he got there, Lazarus had already died, and uh, he had been dead for four days. He has three fierce conversations about death when he gets to Bethany. The first one is with his activist friend, Martha. Martha is, I think, the older sister of the pair of Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is her brother. He's the one who's died. Martha's the one that, in the story she shows up in, is usually the activist. She's busy doing things and making things happen. And when she hears that Jesus has come to Bethany finally... She gets up and goes out to meet him. Mary stays at home. And when Martha gets there, these are the words of that conversation, this fierce conversation about the nature of death and resurrection, about belief and faith in God. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This was a tough conversation. Jesus says to uh, Martha, well, Martha says to Jesus, kind of an accusing voice, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You go all over the place healing people and taking care of people. And when your dear friend Lazarus is sick, you don't show up. And he died if you had been here. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I don't know what Martha expected, but Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And she gives the Sunday school answer, the one she had learned in church. You know, yes, I know, he will rise again at the last day. That's little hope when your brother's lying there in a tomb. But Jesus said, no, Martha, you need to understand. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He was telling her that Lazarus, 
had faced the enemy death, but the enemy had not won. Sometimes death is understood um, in our culture and has been for many centuries as a friend who comes to suffering people and relieves them of their suffering. At least they're not suffering anymore. And we almost treat death as a friend. That's the way Greek philosophy looked at death. When Socrates was uh, condemned to death and he was to drink the cup of hemlock, the poison that would end his life, he calmly delivers a speech and then drinks the hemlock. And the early opponents of Christianity used to point to that story and contrast it to Jesus in the garden wrestling with the cup and saying, Father, if, this, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, take it away. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. It's because biblically, in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, death is not a friend. In Greek philosophy, death was a friend. It freed the spirit from the prison house of the body, but not so in biblical thinking. Death is an enemy, always the enemy. And Jesus is here face to face with a place where the enemy has done its worst. When someone suffers for a long time with a disease and they finally die, it's not that the friend death has come and freed them from their suffering. The enemy death had begun the suffering a long time before. It is at, at that moment when a person breathes their last, it is Jesus the Savior, the resurrection and the life, who steps in and takes the enemy and dismisses them. He who lives and believes in me will never die, Jesus said. Jesus conquers the enemy. And he tells that to Martha. His remark to Martha has two parts to it, both of which are really important. The first thing he says to her is, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that lives he that believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. The enemy death is defeated. Even though they die physically, they live on in the presence of God. Do you believe this, Martha? We're given this promise that death does not get the last word. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Lengthy discussion he has there about death and resurrection. And he says, since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then Paul says, listen, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible have put on in corruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Death is an enemy that Christ has overcome. And that's what he tells Martha. The enemy has not won. Keep your faith. Hold on to your hope in this moment because the enemy has not won this battle. But then he says to her, he who lives and believes in me shall never die. I'm the resurrection and the life. 
And, and those are separate things. He says to her, knowing that death is defeated, it's possible to live a full and abundant life. We can come to terms with the reality of death because Jesus is not only resurrection, he is also the life. He that lives and believes in me will never die. What that means, I think, is that in light of Jesus' victory over death, we are free to live, you and I. We are free to live fully. We don't have to establish ourselves. We don't have to vie for power and position and prestige and possessions. All these futile attempts that we make to prove that we've been here on planet Earth are unnecessary now because we're living forever. We don't have to struggle with those things. All those expressions of our fear of dying, our fear of not having lived can be relinquished. All our white-knuckled grip on our life can be relaxed. With the gift of eternal life, we no longer have to fret over such things as those. We're free simply to follow Jesus, serve him in this world, and know that our lives last forever. That's the promise when he says, I am resurrection and the life. We can cease striving. We have nothing to prove any longer. He's defeated our enemy. Now, that's a pretty fierce conversation with Martha. And Martha sends word back to the house and says, Mary, the teachers come and he's asking for you. And Mary gets up and makes her way out there. Mary is Jesus' contemplative friend. Whenever she shows up in the scripture and in the stories with Jesus, she's nearly always kneeling at his feet. She's listening. She's quiet. She's sensitive. And she goes out there to meet Jesus. And we pick up the story in verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and knelt at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exact words that Martha had said. Anytime two people meet you separately and say the same thing to you in an accusing sort of way, you know they've been talking about that, right? <laughs> That's probably been the conversation in Bethany for a couple of days. Where's Jesus when we need him? Where's God when we need him? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit, deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. That's the shortest verse in the Bible we learned as a kid. Jesus wept. But it is Jesus began to weep. Tears welled up in the eyes of our Savior in the midst of brokenhearted Mary, brokenhearted Martha, and their friends who have lost Lazarus. Jesus sees all that. He's deeply moved in trouble, and he weeps with them. There wasn't much to say to Mary in this fierce conversation. They, there seldom is when we walk alongside brokenhearted people. Jesus was simply with her, and he wept with her and with her friends. This conversation was more enacted than spoken. He is with her in her grief and her loss. You see, it's not only our own death that we have to face and come to terms with. It's the fact that we, as we move through life, have to face the death and loss of people who are dear to us. We stand often brokenhearted, you and I, alongside graves or a casket in a funeral home and have to say goodbye to someone who was important to us. Death, the enemy comes and invades, and we may not be the one who lost our life, but we are often among the collateral damage. 
mourning and grief and broken hearts are familiar to us. And like Mary, we sometimes open that fierce conversation with God at that time with an accusation. Where were you? Why couldn't you have? Why me? Why has this happened to us? It's a tough conversation. Jesus' response to her is not an explanation. It's his own presence. He doesn't promise that we'll never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He promises that if we do, we will not walk alone. We will walk alongside our shepherd. God will be with us during those dark, dark times. The Apostle Paul writes in the end of Romans chapter 8, he says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even when we face the enemy, even when we face death, even when we're brokenhearted, even when we can't imagine what the future will be like without someone that's been dear and important to us, even then, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus comes among the wounded and promises that Christ weeps with us. He loves us, and death cannot separate us from that love. He walks with us through the grief. He offers comfort and healing to our broken hearts. And that fierce conversation means that as difficult as it is, we can endure in this life through those losses with God's strength and presence. There's a third fierce conversation Jesus has that day in Bethany. Uh, he's had one with the activist Mary, his fr Martha, his friend, and with the contemplative Mary, his friend. But now he has a conversation in verse 37 to 44 with Lazarus, his dead friend, the one whose funeral had been held two days earlier, the one whom everyone is grieving. Beginning in verse 37, Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, sister of the dead man, the practical one, said, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of this crowd standing here so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, listen to this. This is not a normal conversation. Listen. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Mary escorted Jesus to the tomb, and Jesus then took full control of the situation. He started issuing commands, move the stone out of the way. But Lord, move the stone out of the way. He prayed. Then he issued a command in a loud voice, loud enough to silence the screams of death in the grave. Jesus called out to his friend, Lazarus, come out. And the one who is the resurrection and the life spoke three short words, and death gave up and surrendered its captive. 
One who, Scripture says, has the keys of death and the grave on his belt in Revelation chapter 1, issued a command, and the shackles of death and the grave fell off of Lazarus, and he walked out. Take those grave clothes off of him, Jesus said. He's not dead anymore. Now, this wasn't resurrection. It was resuscitation. Lazarus would have another funeral someday. He would live with his friends for a time and die. But Jesus gave back Lazarus his life in this world for a time as a sign to them and to all of us that he is, in fact, the resurrection and the life, and that there is a time coming when he will say, come forth, and all the dead who have faith in him will be brought forth from graves and would live forever embodied in the presence of God, in the fullness of the kingdom of God, and that means we can live with hope. His conversation with Martha taught us that we can live this life meaningfully because death, the enemy, is defeated. His conversation with Mary taught us that when we have to endure the loss of others, that we can live this life knowing God's presence and comfort even in the midst of death. And his conversation with Lazarus says we can live with hope because one day our name will be spoken and we will come forth as well. We will live with him forever and ever. This is a story of, of great good news. Howell Raines recounted that the way his coming to terms with death uh, embarrassed him, that he had been afraid of death and had never spoken to anyone about it. And so uh, he also noticed that his fear of death had affected the way he treated other people. And there was a supervisor in his office there, he said that he was just scared to, scared to death of, literally, and who was always upset whenever the person spoke to him. And Howell Rain said he, he came across this saying from a Cherokee warrior. Uh, it was just this simple statement, it's a good day to die. So he wrote that on a sticky note and stuck it on his computer. And every time that person came in the room, rather than getting anxious about it again, he looked at that and go, it's a good day to die. I might not live through this day. Why do I want to waste my good time being bothered and upset by this person? And so he, uh, he practiced that for a while. He said it got, got him built some of his fears and anxieties out of the way. And he tells about returning to a canyon where he and his son Jeffrey had fished many, many times together. And he said, I fished alone from morning until great shards of black shadow lay across the walls and the river became opaque, indifferent, and a little dangerous looking. Beside those waters, the death song of the Cheyenne entered me, filled me up, and I knew it was a good day to die. And I understood on the stroke of that moment that the cry of the dog soldier, it is a good day to die, is not about fatality, not just fatalism, but it's about freedom, that it sets us free to come to terms with the reality of our mortality. The words of Jesus to Martha and Mary are not about fatality. They're not empty promises. They're about freedom. The Jesus who calls Lazarus from his tomb on Easter morning triumphantly walked out of his own tomb. He demonstrated the power and truth of his words. I am the resurrection and the life. He is for us the resurrection, the one who takes away the fear and sting of death, physical death. He is for us the life, the one who infuses from the, his very existence into us a reason to live and to live with the presence of God and the goodness of love and the freedom to serve. So it's a wise thing to reflect on whether you go through a midlife crisis or not.
Am I ready to die? Am I ready to live? Do I know the resurrection? Do I know the life? That's what he calls us to, living in light of the reality that he has conquered our enemy. Let's pray together. Lord, it is a difficult thing for us, you know well. We don't think about it often. We put it out of our mind as quickly as possible. We dismiss it if someone brings it up. We find other things to think about, and we feel a little dark even offering the subject to the table. But, Lord, we are mortal people, and you've remedied that through the promise of resurrection through Jesus Christ. And I pray you would help us to take hold of that truth in faith so that not only may we be raised with him when he returns, but also that we might live for him as long as we have days on this earth. We ask this in his name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.